When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Football Social Daily. Premier League Preview. Hello and welcome to the Football Social Daily Premier League Preview Show. Now, it's been a busy 48 hours in politics and I think we'd all be forgiven for saying we want to just get back to talking about football. And that's exactly what we're going to be doing on the show today. Huge weekend of Premier League action, building up nicely towards what's going to be a really, really busy festive period with Premier League action seemingly on every single day between now and 2020, which I cannot wait for. Now, obviously, with so much to get through, there's definitely too much just for me to be talking about and I am... I'm joined in the studio today by a crack team that are not going to be mentioning any politics. It's going to be just football. We have Jay Mottishead from Full Time Devils. Hi, mate. You okay? Hello. We have Sam Lee, Manchester City correspondent for The Athletic. Hello. And we also have Mark Critchley, Northern football correspondent for The Independent. Hi, Fergal. How are you doing? And my name's Fergal Brennan, resident journalist here with The Sports Social. We're going to be covering all the Premier League action this weekend, starting off with league leaders Liverpool. They welcome Nigel Pearson's Watford to Anfield. We're also going to be taking a look at the Duncan Ferguson revolution at Everton as they go to Manchester United and previewing what I think is still a big top four clash with Manchester City heading to the Emirates Stadium. Right, there's only one place to start and that's at Anfield with the league leaders, Liverpool. We all know Liverpool uh, have gone off like a train so far this season. They've left Manchester City for dust in recent weeks, but they're about to come up in what is going to be a very, very sticky spell for Jurgen Klopp's side. Now, as it stands, Liverpool could play four games in the next 10 days if their Club World Cup goes to plan. They're going to be playing here in Premier League and Carabao Cup action and then away in 
Saudi Arabia, Qatar. It's Qatar. Qatar it's in Qatar. the in the Club World Cup. So, as I say, that's where we're going to kick off Liverpool this weekend. They're at home to Watford. Now, on paper, Watford have been abysmal. They've just appointed a new manager. We're going to touch on Nigel Pearson in a second, but we're going to get started with Liverpool. Big news from them in the last 24 hours. Two new contracts. Jurgen Klopp has committed to 2024 and midfielder James Milner has committed to 2022. Now, Milner's an interesting point to start on because Klopp is going to rotate his team in the next couple of weeks in order to make sure that fatigue doesn't set in too much. That's where I wanted to kick off. Mark, I'll go to you first on this. Given the fact that he has changed already in the Everton game, the Bournemouth game and the Salzburg game, ahead of Watford this weekend, where do you see those changes being made? Um, I think you always look towards probably Trent Alexander-Arnold. I know he didn't start last week at Bournemouth. He played in midweek in Salzburg. But he is really, you know, we we know by now he's the player that so much of what Liverpool do runs through. Uh, And if if there's an opportunity to give him a rest, then they usually would. I think what will prevent that this weekend, though, is the injury to Dejan Lovren, which means Joe Gomez has to fill in at centre-back and probably leaves Trent on the right. Um, and then otherwise, I think you look at the front three. I, I think Mane was. I think Mane last week was the first time that Klopp's managed to keep him out of a game in ninety minutes for about two years. Um, so he's at least well rested. But perhaps Salah or Firmino. They're obviously moving in for. Um, is it Minamino? Minamino I, I from uh, Salzburg. Yeah. Yes, that's right. So there's obviously a need for reinforcements there. Uh, and you know it's getting up to a busy time, and this is really the start of Liverpool's kind of long winter. Where Watford's not so that much, not that much of a challenging fixture, but after that the games get a little bit tougher, especially with Leicester on Boxing Day. So yeah, this starts here really. Keeping them injury free is obviously the concern for Klopp because the Club World Cup they they are taking it seriously. The squad they've named to go is their first team. They're going to put out a very very young team against Aston Villa in the Carabao Cup. Given that they've set out their priorities for the next few weeks in terms of how they're going to play, do you think we're going to see? changes in the game Sam particularly if Watford if, if they get a 2-0 lead at half time he's going to be taking players off wrapping them up in cotton wool or do you think they're going to want to ram home the advantage they've got over City at the minute well I think it's that process already started hasn't it when you know I know a lot of Liverpool journalists and particularly Liverpool fans were a bit nervous when they picked the change team for the Everton game for the derby um, obviously and then they, as as Mark said, they left Marnie out last week and made a couple more changes. So, you know, they're still, you know, they're making the changes, but still ramming the the points of advantage home. Um, so, yeah, I th- again, I think they'll probably make a couple more against Watford, keeping everyone fresh. But I'm, I'm not really buying the whole fixture pile-up situation because it's not like they're playing four league games. They're, the Villa game's completely irrelevant. None of the first team is going to play. Mm-hmm. The quarter-final, semi-final, whatever, of the Club World Cup, they don't have to play a strong team in that. Um, in order they, to get through, yeah. If they get to the final, then they'll probably want to play a strong team in that. But it'll be a difficult game, you'd imagine, if they get Flamengo especially, because they'll really be up for it. And South South American sides, you know, they always go for it. But I still think he'd probably make a couple of changes for that to the strongest team. Yeah. Because, as Mark says, the, the big games kick off. So it's only going to be the travel, really, that, that's an issue. I don't, I don't buy the whole fixture pile-up thing because it's... Yeah, uh, the Villa games are relevant, um, and yeah, the Club World Cup they can they can still play a much weaker team and then make sure they're ba- they're looking all right for Leicester and Wolves. I suppose the only issue is that 
because one game's the day after another. You could probably get away with playing some of the players that were played in the Villa game in the semi-final of the Club yeah. World Cup, but you obviously can't because they're in two different countries. So, <laughs> so there is a slight, you know, I, I take what you're saying. It will well, be. they're just playing the reserve team, aren't they? They don't well, care if they get in the Villa game. Yes, yeah, but what I mean exactly. is they're taking a first team. They're going to have to take a first team squad to to Qatar. And yeah, if they, they are. If they didn't, if they didn't have the Villa game, they could t- also take some of those reserve players and play that in the semi final, which is against one of the weaker. One well, of the weaker teams there the is the potential. FIFA have said that it's not like a, a UEFA Champions League game. You don't have to be in the city, so there could be players who play in the. They could leave players back for the Villa game and then take them and play them in the final if they qualify. But they won't be able to set. <clears throat> as Mark said, they won't be able to play Villa game even if it's only half an hour and then fly and play less than twenty four mm. hours later, despite whoever the opposition will be. It's not going to be ideal. I think over the last couple of years we've seen from Klopp that. Do you remember in his first season when he came, twenty fifteen sixteen? There was a, Liverpool got a lot of muscle injuries uh, around January, and there was a lot of questions about whether his training methods. And you had uh, Raymond Verheyen and his little egg avatar like uh, <laughs> popping up on Twitter. <laughs> but um, to be honest, in fairness to in fairness to Raymond, uh, it seemed like a thing at the time, and a lot of a lot of us journalists were reporting it. And Klopp does seem to have learned since then. I remember the year after they dropped a few points here and there around Christmas, and there was questions saying, you know, is is this going to scupper the top four hopes? later on tight or whatever um, but it, it, it stood them in good stead over a test of time and I think uh, Klopp has learned his lessons there Well I think Jay obviously you've always got Liverpool Football Club's best interest at heart I know, I know, it's, I know it's a cause very close to you yeah. when you look at the players that have come in for these games Adam Lallana Jadon Shaqiri Divock Origi Naby Keita who we were chatting before we started recording and saying with Fabinho's injury is he now first choice Klopp has still managed to keep all these players motivated. Origi and Shakiri both scored in the derby. Keita scored against um, Salzburg in the Champions League the other night. He is managing to keep these players motivated, even though they probably know themselves they're only being drafted in in order to rest the likes of Wijnaldum or Henderson or, or one of the forward players. Yeah, well, you look at it, though. You look at, for them, it's, they're still playing in big games. They're playing for a big club. And, you know, if, if Shakiri wasn't playing... Coming on for those games, he might be, you know, I don't know, in a relegation battle with someone, or he might be, you know, in, aiming for the playoffs in the championship. So he's managed his squad well, but he's got that squad to manage. And you know, Origi was coming on in Champions League finals. He's not going to be sort of whinging about the fact he's being used as a substitute or or being used as a squad player. So it's not that difficult to manage your squad when the games are so big as well. When you've got these competitions, you're in the quarterfinals, or you're in the semi-finals, or you're in the World Club Championship, or you're going for a league title. And let's face it, every player in that squad knows that. It, <laughs> The more they're almost certainly going to get um, a title winning medal at the end of the season as well so I don't think it's that difficult to manage his squad I think he's got players that the fringe players probably know the fringe players they know yeah. that, that you know they're not going to be getting Sadio Mane's position in that club if he's fit or Firmino's not going to get dropped for them if he's fit and it's a big game so they're probably happy with that you know we've seen it with clubs up over the last five or six years well since the dawn of time really you've always had a big squad if you've got a challenge for several trophies and I think that's what Liverpool have got now they've got the right blend of a sort of a strong 11 with with quality players that can back them up so I don't think it's a particularly difficult job for Jurgen Klopp I think the only difficult job you have is if one of these players is you know he's coming on as somebody scoring loads of goals and then he starts saying hang on a minute I should be in the first team and I don't think that's happening to be fair No I don't and I think Shaqiri's used his time off to to quite good effect he's gone from being a fella who needed a haircut once every six months to now someone who's got you know a regular slot in his local barbers and nobody's really talked about the fact that he's just grown a new head of hair but anyway we're not here to you know discuss mysterious haircuts Watford uh, heading to Anfield today 
on paper, you would say you don't give them much of a chance, really. Nigel Pearson's come in. Um, he's, he straight away said he doesn't want to talk about ostriches or hear about ostriches. He's here just to keep Watford in the Premier League. Mark, what did you make of his appointment? Watford's seeming a bit of a mess. Javi Garcia lasting six weeks at the start of the season. Kike Flores coming in. Very strange circumstances. He's now gone. And someone like Pearson coming in, his brief is very, very clear. Yeah, I think so. I think in terms of the appointment... Watford burned through so many managers at the minute you're going to end up with someone like Nigel Pearson in the end um, and Nigel Pearson's a weird one for me I think he's a guy um, who, who gets a, he gets a lot of credit for what like six games in April like four years ago I mean he kept Leicester up sure but I think obviously he was sacked that summer and there was a lot I think a lot of people nose was put out of joint by that because they thought he'd done such a good job and then we all know what happened next after Leicester winning the title and such but he seems to bask in the reflected glory a little bit of, of, of the title win in 2016 and I don't really know he's been to Derby since there and didn't pull up many trees um, I think it's a it's a strange one and it doesn't really fit in with what we've come to expect from Watford before and they, they look like a team to me I mean there was reports I remember reading that they'd gone back to Gracia and, and wanted to see if he'd come back but yeah. <laughs> you know it's, it, I think that says that says everything begging Javi Garcia what? to come back wow what is going on it man? says everything about, about a direction of a club you, we're talking about a lot of clubs at the minute I think who, who are searching for their identity and the, the problem is Watford I don't know if they ever really had one give it out on John to the end of the season <laughs> <laughs> I just think Watford is such a strange setup. when you look at the players they've got there is creativity there is goals there they've got Roberto Pereira Gerard Delafeo Troy Deeney is He's a handful, you know, I've, I've lost my cliche bell to ring it, but he is, he is a handful for defenders and he gets important goals and, and he seems to have a, a real leadership for those players around him. But when you look at what Pearson did, as, as Mark said with Leicester, when he kept them up, you can't really see him looking to focus on the attacking players they've got. It's going to be defence first, you would say. People kind of credit him as well with team spirit and fostering that kind of good good attitude in yeah. the squad. And I think, you know, Mark said, you know, basking in the reflected glory of Leicester winning the league after he'd gone, and I saw some people saying, you know, he he was kind. Of, people still hold him kind of responsible in a good sense for building that kind of camaraderie in the dressing room. But you know, as you say, went to Derby and you know didn't do anything noticeably good there. You know, no. kind of, as Lampard did. But that'll probably be the key thing for Watford, like you say. They've got good players, but we probably had this conversation when Sanchez Flores was came came back. We talked about the players they've got and the potential goals they can get, but. I don't know, it just seems to have drifted a bit. Um, it's, it's one of those situations where the dressing room doesn't seem especially united or knows what they need to do. And I don't know, maybe maybe that's you know, that'll be Pearson's strength, you know, to get them back together and then hope they can at least get on a par with the other teams. You know, even just you know, not the level of level of you know Southampton and Villa, the yeah. other strugglers. And obviously they've got a points gap to make up, but if they can just even get to their level and pick up the odd win here and there, they can make it closer than it is at the moment. Just by you know, just bringing everyone together again and you working as a unit that actually plays place of their strengths. And maybe that will be on the counter attack. Maybe it'll be playing up to Dini. But if he gets everyone happy and singing off the same hymn sheet and all of those cliches, cliches, he'll <laughs> um, be doing all right. And do you think Watford fans will be satisfied with that? Obviously, they realise the situation they're in. The manager manager situation is a bit of a mess of late, but. Those players that I've mentioned, they do have the capability to get goals. And this was something that I think damaged Garcia at the back end of last season when there was the run to the FA Cup final and then obviously the start of the season. That there was murmurings within the fans of, well, we've got De La Feo, we've got Pereira, we've you know, we've spent big money on Ismaili Asar over the summer. 
do you think if Pearson steadies the ship, there's going to be a demand for a little bit more that he might struggle to deliver? Or do you just think it's a case of just keep us up? The priority's got to be keeping them up. I, I think, you know, you can worry about progressing and building on that further down the line, but, you know, Watford are in a little bit of trouble. And yeah, you know, you look at that team and you can say on paper there are, there are goals there, but you scratch beneath the surface. And I would be a little bit worried, I'm being honest, if I was a Watford fan, about where those goals are coming from. I mean, Andre Gray, um, what is it, two goals, I think, this yeah. season? Delefeu, I think, okay, he can score goals. I think he scored 10 last season, but I don't think he's scored a lot this season I think it's two Danny Welbeck scored one goal in two seasons I think in the Premier League so and Troy Deeney who you think okay as, as Sam was saying yeah you can get stuck in and he's a player and get you you know probably eight or nine goals a season he's 31 he's not getting you know any younger if you want to get that no. cliche bell out again <laughs> so I, I would be a little bit concerned yes you can sort your defence out but you know one of the hardest things is to get goals and they haven't got anyone that I think is terribly reliable in that department so I think Pearson's going to have his work cut out there to be honest with you in, in getting goals I think defensively yep you've got some quality there and he, he can work with those and that might be something that he'll feel strongly about or he'll feel equipped to deal with but I just think they might struggle at the other end of the pitch to be honest with you Just quickly I'm going to ask you for a prediction in a second but before I do that do Watford have enough to stay up under Nigel Pearson? Do we think they'll survive? I'm going to go, I think Mike made a good point there about you know, when we think of Nigel Pearson, you automatically, I did it, think Leicester, he kept them up yeah. amazing, but then, you know, where were, where were Derby when he left? Weren't they like struggling, I think, right near the bottom of the team? And Leicester, even the Leicester team that he saved, however you want to phrase it, were better than this Watford team. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. they were league champions of the league. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't be. That's what pulling the strings at the time as yeah, well, yeah, didn't no, no, Mark. Would you would you agree with that? No, I don't that? think so. I think at the minute it looks pretty clear that I think it's going to be them, Norwich, and one other, and and it's a bit uncertain who that other is. But I think the two of them are just a little bit too far back. Three for three, Sam. Or are you are you back in the ostrich king? Uh, yeah, why not? <laughs> you've, you've always been a big Nigel Pearson fan. It's, it's a bit of a secret that he keeps from us. Yeah. Um, predictions? Do we see anything other than? Comfortable for Liverpool before they head off to Qatar? I, I'm going to go with a conservative 5-0 win for Liverpool. I'm going to go four. <laughs> Three then. <laughs> You're such a backer of Pearson, honestly. Um, right, we're going to we're going to move start on because this weekend. <laughs> if Sam gets any more time to talk about Nigel Pearson, we'll have to do an extra podcast. Um, Manchester United, Everton. Now, obviously, there's going to be a huge amount of focus on this this weekend. We've got a situation of the interim manager versus the extended interim manager. Would you say that's fair? Duncan Ferguson against Oli Gunnar Solskjaer? Um, you're going to start with me. The extended interim manager. <laughs> I think that's a bit harsh. Um, listen, we, we know we spoke about it every time I've been on this podcast about Oli being under pressure. That pressure increased when Pochettino left, which also coincided with Oli having, you know, the, well, continuing a, a poor run. We've had a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel now with impressive back-to-back wins in the Premier League and obviously a, a a good win over a fairly decent Altmar team, if we're being honest, in the in the Europa League. Um, so yes, he's always going to be under pressure, but I don't think he's he's just the, the extended interim manager. I think there's every chance that if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has a good season, he'll he'll carry on to next season. Um, in terms of Ferguson, they had that instant bump, didn't they, when they beat Chelsea? Um, whether that continues after, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. I'm hoping, obviously, it doesn't from a United point of view, but. He obviously knows those players. I mean, Oli came in, when Oli came in as caretaker manager, what Oli did was the first big thing he did was he wasn't Jose Mourinho. That was the massive thing. Yeah. A lot of the players were so disillusioned and angry. And also, he had his best player on the bench. So it was like, stick Paul Pogba in the team, stick him almost as a number 10. 
sort of build the team around him. Everyone's happy, everyone's buzzing. Plus, we had a run, run of easy fixtures for the first four or five games. I think it was like the bottom eight teams or whatever. And he hit the ground running. Now, you know, sort of three or four months in, the wheels came off after that night in Paris. We don't need to go into that. But Ferguson, he knows those plays. He's got a bit of an advantage there. He can get a little bit of a bump by, again, not being Marco Silva, who it seemed had lost the dressing room in a way. So, yeah, there are similarities there, but... I think one of the things that United have struggled with against this season, if you look at our record, our record against the top six is great. Our record against everyone else isn't. And I think we struggle when teams sit back. I think, you know, you saw it at, at the Etihad and you saw it even to a lesser extent against Spurs. When teams come at us, we're good at counter-attacking. We've got Marcus Rashford, who's absolutely on fire at the minute. I can't forget I forget his record. It's like 10 goals in 11 games or whatever it is. Um, Daniel James has, has obviously come in and he's just hit the ground running, literally. Um, and Andy Martial's revelling in that number nine role. So on a counter-attack, United, great. But when we face teams that are sort of dogged, we, we struggled. I mean, the first 60 minutes against Sheffield United, which wasn't that long ago, let's not forget, was the worst I've seen United play under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. We were terrible. So it's a bit soon to say we've turned a corner. And I think if, if Everton have got any sense and they do defend, it could be a long afternoon for us. Well, this is what I wanted to ask... I think it's just perception again with Solskjaer that people constantly think is he under pressure is he not under pressure and these questions are constantly getting asked but when you look at the numbers I'm looking at them here now he's lost two of his last 13 games in all competitions he's coming into this game on the back of a brilliant win against Tottenham a brilliant win away at Manchester City and signing off the Europa League against Alkmaar as, as, as Jay said is it right the way that he still feels that he's under pressure? I mean, I'm talking about this from a non-Manchester United mm-hmm. perspective. Yeah. It still feels to fans of other Premier League sides that Solskjaer's still kind of on the edge. I think perception is reality, isn't it? I think, um, you know, those statistics that you say, yeah, two defeats in however many games it is, but how many of those have been draws? How many of them have been disappointing performances? And how many of them... Uh, I. I get tired of saying the same thing and writing the same thing about United. And even though it's my job, Jay said it perfectly there. It's, it's, it's the fact that against the top teams, they have the space to break into, they can sit back, they can counter, they can do all that. And then when they have the ball in games where they have like 50, 60% possession, they just don't know what to do with it. They can't, and to be fair, to be fair, I was there last night against Alkmaar. And Jay, were you there as well? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So the first goal... Um, the first half we'll start with that the first half was abysmal oh was, I was clock watching I was clock watching I was dreadful. like this is just dragging <laughs> we were doing me and Honestly. the other journalists we had an email chain and we were doing uh, an election 11 like pun footballer names on that and that was that was what took up my attention for the first <laughs> half because it was that dreadful but the first goal and that little blitz that they had over 10 minutes where they all four get scored I thought the little bit from Pereira where he kind of uh, comes out of the corner and there's a one-two with Mata and Matic plays Mata back in and it's played across for Young. You know, that's the kind of football that Manchester United need to play against sides that are a little bit more organised, a little bit more compact if they're gonna if they're gonna get results consistently under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Uh, and you know, the visit of Everton as well is a big one for me. You said the worst you've seen them play with Sheffield United, which was bad. Um, I remember Goodison Park last year as well. And this is the first time. This is the first time they played Everton since that day. They were dreadful, and it feels like a lot of problems that were around from that time are still still lingering. Solskjaer afterwards said that um, there was going to be some players that day that wouldn't be here with him the next season and wouldn't be part of his success. And I think it's only Lukaku who's gone permanently. Sanchez was there, but he's he's on loan. Everybody else is the same. So in the end, the questions you're asking is what's changed and. I don't think a lot has changed, even with the two wins in the last week. The kind of 
even though they were surprising, the ones that we've come to expect because they do so well against teams that give them space. I think that's a fair point that things have changed, but there hasn't been this great change that's been pushed for or needed in, in the last couple of months. But Sam, when you look at the, the Manchester derby last weekend, and obviously you were covering it for City, mm. You've got a position where Solskjaer set the team up perfectly in order to to play against City and to get that result. As Mark said before, there's there's performances where you watch them and you want to tear your hair out, and there's performances where you watch them and you go, yes, this is what we want to see more of. When you look at how they've played in the last couple of weeks, and particularly in the derby game, do you think it is a, a tactical change and tweaks that Solskjaer has made, or do you just think the mentality is starting to have a bit of steel added to it? I don't think so. Like United have been turning corners for five years. Is <laughs> But you just look at... Cul-de-sac. Well, yeah, but you, you, just, you just look... It's just... Look, the lads have said it perfectly. It's the type of game. You know, the type of game demands <coughs> certain tactics. United aren't going to go toe-to-toe with City. Um, the Spurs game was a good result. There was an awful... I mean, the second half. After well, I, well, the goal, I, yeah. nothing, nothing happened. It was, I was a bit nervous. I'm not criticising. No. Both good results. Both yeah. good results. But I'm just saying, overall, big picture. I'm not convinced still. You know, you, you could say unbeaten in five, but... Two of those were, you know, Villa and Sheffield United. And again, like, like I say, honestly, the lads, the lads summed it up perfectly. It, the, the games demanded a certain approach, and it's an approach that suits United. And if you think back to the Chelsea game at the start of the season, which had other factors, you know, Chelsea missed some good chances and that kind of thing. A lot of the goals very, very direct. You know, they got the players for that. They got the player who can play a ball over the top and the players to run onto it. Um, if Everton don't give them that space, I, I completely agree with the others. They'll struggle. So, I don't think there's been any major change I don't think anything's clicked at United it's just you know the way the fixtures have been I think the fixtures have, have suited them in the last two games I think they'll beat Everton but I can't see it I can't see it necessarily being easy I mean I know it's not mentality I mentioned it earlier you've got a player Max Rashford who's just scoring goals for fun I mean that was lacking a little bit earlier in the season both Martial and Rashford were very patchy then Martial got injured Matt we're, we are a better team when Martial plays especially that well, he's sort of settled in that number nine role he obviously missed a few months of the season and I think Lingard has come in and Jesse Lingard you know I wouldn't even say he's like Marmite I think most United fans now a lot of fans look at him and think oh what does he do but if you look he came on against Filler he was quite I thought he had a quite decent game he came on against I think it was Bournemouth a few weeks ago and I thought he actually did well um, he played well in the derby um, and he played well against Spurs and I think that's been probably the only major tactical change I can see is Pereira getting dropped for, for Lingard over the last couple of games and I think that has improved us Um I think there's been a couple of question marks about the defence. Harry Maguire probably flattered to deceive a little bit, but I was saying this earlier off, um, before we started, you know, I thought at the derby, a lot of our defenders, it was their best game for me of the season. I think Lindelof's having a pretty poor season, but he had a very good game against City. I think Maguire sort of lived up to the captaincy, the um, role that he was given. Um, and I thought Shaw played well as well, and he's another one. And Wan-Bissaka was amazing at the Etihad, but he's been very good this season anyway. So I think that's a big factor as well because I still feel nervous about United defensively. I still feel like, you know, you've seen the goals we conceded, three against Sheffield United, two against Aston Villa, even the one against Spurs. These are goals that were easy to clear. There was opportunity to get rid of the ball, to clear it. And it just didn't happen. Lack of communication, you know, lack of whatever you want to call it, lack of organisation. You know, people stood around looking at each other. I mean, it's like everyone's waiting for VAR all of a sudden. And it's, you know, it's like, it's not going to happen. So that is still a worry, but I'm hoping... I know Sam's at the nail on the head. We have been turning this corner ever since David Moyes was appointed, but you know that we can build on these results because we've had three good results now in a row, two in the league, one in the Europa League. And let's try and get that momentum we had when Oli took over because we've not had it since. Uh, we'll touch on Everton in a second, but Mark, I just wanted to ask, 
when you look at the City game, and, and as we mentioned, the way United set up, as Jay said, considering the issues at the back, the fact that they're still vulnerable to balls into the box, they're still vulnerable to players getting the, the wrong side of Lindelof or Maguire, do you think that's the best way to set up against Everton to get a result? Play on the front foot, look to play on the counter-attack. Everton don't have a great defensive record this season and they are quite static in defence. I think we're kind of coming on to how Everton are going to play it, and I think that we've only got one sample, one game sample size, haven't we, from, from yep. Dunk? But I think they're gonna. He's gonna go there and try and do exactly what we recommend to try and do against Manchester United, and just try and stay organised and compact and keep things tight. Um, so if you're gonna look to try and play that counter-attacking game, I can't really see it coming off. Um, I know Everton haven't been the best defensively this season. I think, but I think their goal difference actually, even though they're, they're quite far down the table, is actually it's actually positive. I, m- I might be making that up. I should probably just make things up and pick things up ahead. <laughs> But According to my screen, I'm, looking, I'm not going to pretend I knew that one. I'm looking at it now. Minus that's nine. Right. That's what. Yeah, it's mean. minus nine. Okay, minus well, nine. it's not positive. Then. Okay, um, no, sorry. It's more positive than other teams. <laughs> yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, no, I think I think there is basically what I'm trying to say is I think there is the nucleus of a of a of a good defensive side there. Um, they miss Idrissa Gay. I think he's been massive for him going to PSG. And is it Gambine who they brought in for the yep. summer as a replacement? Mm-hmm. Him him getting injured. I think that's been huge as well. If they had that kind of solidity in the midfield, I'd be a little bit more confident. But I think that Dunk ultimately is going to look at this and think, yeah, um, best to sit tight and, and see what we can get on the counter and, and that will suit them. Now that the, the dust has settled, um, Dunk obviously taking the Chelsea game, winning the Goodison Park crowd really behind him for that and, and pushing the side on to get three points. Now that the dust has settled and the ball boys have been hugged and you know and all the handshakes and everything's been dealt with, Sam... What did you actually take away from the Chelsea performance? That if you're an Everton fan looking at the United game, knowing that you're not at home, you're going to Old Trafford, which is never easy to to go to, regardless of whatever the situation might be with Manchester United. Is there is there anything that you can take from that from a tactical point of view that's markedly different from what Marco Silva was doing? Um, no, I don't know. It's it seems too easy a point to make, but it just I don't know the the energy. Just the energy and the motivation, and this—it seemed like the players were behind the manager again. Same kind of thing as as Jay was saying about when Solskjaer came in and replaced Mourinho. I don't think like the players had full on hated Marco Silva, but it was you know they they weren't getting you know they weren't playing to their best, and I, I just think they obviously motivated the the young lads. There's that picture of Ferguson hugging the two of them, the local lads. Well, not so much local and Calvert Lewin and, and Davies. Uh, yeah, but you know the young Ever- you know Everton lads, um, and you know it's just it's just getting a tune out of the players again. You so- sometimes all it is is motivation, and sometimes you do. That's why people look for the new manager bounce. And whether you know Ferguson will be a success over the long term, we'll have to wait and see. But whether we can get a, a few results out of them, I'd imagine so. And as Mark said, you know there's only one game sample size, but you'd imagine they would approach it in the way that's sensible for United. But also, I don't know. You think is that's when Everton were at their best, you know, under David Moyes and that kind of stuff. You know, Ferguson was in that team. No, you know, knows the Everton way, and that's kind of it, isn't it? You know, the the Everton fans, a unique bunch. You know, yep. they was they was kind of so against the players, and I think they just want again. You go back to like the DNA managers or whatever. That's what Everton since Moyes has gone, they've wanted to play better football. But and I think they will go back to that with their next manager, whoever it may be. If you look at like Martinez and, and Kuman and how unpopular Allardyce was, but I think at the moment they just want a bit, you know, passion and identity, and I think that's what they'll get. And I think if you go back to the Moyes days, really, for this weekend, it might not be it might not be the worst idea. 
No, I mean, Palace got the result there, playing playing a similar kind of way, and yeah, it would make sense. And Ferguson's been quite clear whenever he's been asked how long do you think you're going to be in the position for, are you looking at a six-month deal, you know, give it to Dunk to the end of the season kind of situation. And he's been quite open to say, no, I, you know, I don't want the job. I, I think it should be someone else. He had a quote from his press conference today that said, Everton should be going for the best manager in the world. Now, we don't think that's going to happen, but Moyes, as, as Sam mentioned before, is the name that's stayed in the frame. He's kind of the one sitting by the phone where they've said to him, listen, we want you, but just, you know, give us a couple of weeks and we'll get back to you. Do you think that's the right? Like Ferguson seems to almost be laying the groundwork and getting the fans on side to have the mentality of this is what the club's all about. Do you see it deviating from anywhere else other than being Moyes back to Everton? You never know with certain these certain situations. Yeah, because loads of people want that job as well. Yeah, loads be, of people. Yeah, want that job. because I mean it's weird about it, and they're still a massive club, and I know they've not had any success. And also, I know Ferguson's saying I don't want it, but. Like, I don't want to keep going and bring it back to United, but you look at United, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was never a long-term appointment. He was just brought in to weather the storm that had been created by Jose falling out with everyone, but he just kept winning until the, the board suddenly thought, well, hang on a minute, why not just give it him? He's a popular decision with the fans and he keeps winning games, let's let's go down that route. So I know Ferguson saying he doesn't want it, but I don't know if he gets the result at Old Trafford, all of a sudden people are going to be going, oh, look, he's won back-to-back games, he's a fan favourite, he's got everyone playing you know, let's keep with him and sort and see what happens. But there are quite a few managers out there and it's just how high Everton go. And I thought, I think, I don't know, I'll um, shoot, was one of the lads who I know was an Everton fan was saying they, they'd sort of sniffed out Pochettino and said, not not a chance. But Unai Emery's ruled himself out this morning as well. Right. Um, so, you know, they might look at it and say, well, there are managers available, let's see there. Because, you know, you're coming into a club that has got some good players, that mm-hmm. has, but don't forget, Everton have back managers in the transfer market. They might not have, sort of, they might have had a structure that is a bit all over the place in terms of who's making the transfer decisions, but they've spent money. They've spent a lot of money, Everton. I think they've spent like the fourth or the third mo- yeah. most money. This of, summer, yeah, fourth. This, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you're going into a club that doesn't spend money. They have got some quality players there still. So it's not, a disaster. You're going in there, you'd expect Everton to be able to move up the table. So it's quite an attractive prospect for, for a lot of managers, especially with the history and the, the fan base they've got. So, yeah, I think it's going to Moyes, yes, it's the safe option and we know he was there for 10 years and and, and what he achieved there. He, you know, they had them sort of stable and they had one or two seasons where they, they sort of, I think they had one season, they didn't get in top four and, yeah. and top five. Well, yeah. um, another time as well, they got to an FA Cup final. So they had some relative success. But... I mean, you're never going to get a United man who's going to sing David Moyes' praises, but I think they should be aiming higher. I do. I just think they can. I think they can do better. Ancelotti's on the market now, isn't he? So that's is that much of exactly is that much of a, a sort of a downward move going from um, Napoli to Everton? Yeah. Um, is it a massive I mean, jump down? A, I don't a, think it is. A downward is a, maybe a bit of an overestimation, but I think the situation with Ancelotti. At, Napoli was more about his relationship with the board that ultimately saw him leave yeah. and was frustrated yeah, yeah, yeah. rather than the, the level of the club. And no, no, but that's what I mean. I mean, it's not you know, it's not like he. Oh, I'll never go to Everton yeah. when I've been the manager at Napoli. You know, why not? There's that famous Everton Napoli rivalry as well. Maybe that's <laughs> maybe that's actually why Benitez won't go. It's nothing to do with Liverpool. It's, it's the Napoli Merseyside connection. Maybe that's what it is. But you know, it's, let's not discount that. Yeah, I mean, he's been in the Premier League before. He might fancy coming back here. I mean, he's at a position in his career as well. He's got nothing to lose. But are we seeing, and I know Mark's mentioned this a few times, are we seeing a, a change in mentality of fan bases and of uh, club boards where they're seeing options of former players coming back? And, you know, we can we can sneer at it and say, oh, they're only doing it because it's a cheap option or it's an easy option. But this weekend we're going to have Solskjaer at United, Ferguson at Everton, Jungberg at Arsenal. 
are we seeing, for the right reasons, for the wrong reasons, a little bit of a change in tact in, in terms of who is being appointed to these jobs? I think so. Well, we're definitely seeing it, aren't we? It's there in the, it's there in the facts. That to, if you're trying to scratch at the reasons behind it, I'm, I think like I touched on with Watford before, I think there's just a lot of clubs that are searching for identity. And, you know, this is... This is like a historic thing. Like I listen, I listen to a war podcast. Okay, every week it's, it's just about wars, right? So, and they say on that that okay, <laughs> and they say on that that basically like I'm terrified with this, <laughs> but like warrior cultures and stuff, they suffer like a defeat becomes the defining thing. If you if you suffer a like cataclysmic defeat and you lose all your identity, then you go in search of like, oh, what made us great? And it becomes this kind of thing that's remembered, folklore, celebrated. And like, I think that's, it's almost similar to what's going on at like Arsenal at the moment. Like, who are Arsenal? There's people at Arsenal now that are probably sat in the boardroom thinking, what are we? What is our DNA? How does it work? Do you remember when the FA tried to do this a few years ago, like um, after the 2010 World Cup and there was this whole review about what England DNA is because it was such a disaster? It's kind of like clubs are just like going right back down to basics starting from the beginning and trying to figure out what makes them them and I think it helps to an extent maybe in the short term there's that little bounce but you know what are Manchester United if not the reason not to do this and not to see it through long term like because they've had so many problems over the last year that should set an example to everyone to think okay this might work for now and it might get us a little bounce but we need to be looking broader than this and thinking, you know, what's what's actually successful and broadening our horizons rather than narrowing them. Right, before we take a quick break, we're going to go for predictions on it. Sam, Ferguson against Solskjaer, battle of the Premier League strikers, now managers. Where do you see this going? Yeah, like I say, I think I think United will win. Um, I could easily see it going against United, but I think they'll win. You know, like the Brighton game about a month ago, that was a similar kind of yeah. thing, but, they, you know, they got... A, Quick fire goals and, and managed it, it, enough it, to get and it went it. United's way. So I can see it being something like that. If you want to score again, yeah, I thought you won again. Mark, we follow on with that. Um, I think it's going to be a draw. I think it's going to be like one one. One one, Jay. I uh, I can actually see a draw. To be honest with you, um, as an aside, it's also I think it's the four thousandth game that an academy player could feature. Sure, yeah, yep. if, if if Greenwood is named it for uh, for for United. So I, I think Marcus Rashford got on score sheet, but I think it, it stinks of a draw to me. You say 1-1? One, 1-1. One. One, one. I'll go with 2-2. Two, 2-2, two. Two, two, a bit more exciting. Well, this is it. Brilliant, right, OK. <laughs> Moment for me. We're drawing on to Everton. No disrespect to Everton, I'll just still be gutted. Right, on that massively positive point, we're going to take a very short break. When we come back, we're going to be previewing Arsenal against Manchester City. And we're also going to be taking a whiz round all the other Premier League games this weekend and getting our predictions and latest updates. Football Social Daily. Premier League Preview. Sports Social. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League Preview Show. As ever, here at the Football Social Daily, we provide you with a daily Premier League podcast, giving you everything that you need to know about the 20 teams in the English top flight. You can listen to us via Acast, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Just give us a like and hit subscribe and you can get your daily podcast anytime you want it. Now, before the break, I mentioned we're going to be touching on Arsenal against Manchester City this weekend. And I am... Looking forward to this as an Arsenal fan, but also terrified about this as an Arsenal fan because much as it's been the case for Arsenal so far this season, I've no idea how this is going to pan out. I think the best case scenario is a draw. Worst case scenario is 
Guardiola's like a wounded beast. The players are annoyed after the derby last weekend and they tear Arsenal to bits. Now, give me something to be confident about. Jay, we'll start with you with Arsenal. Four games for Freddie at the wheel. What have you made of him? I, I compared him to a table before we started recording because I don't really seem to be getting anything from him. He's had one win against West Ham, but everything else has looked very, very laboured. I don't think, unlike Dunk, as you mentioned with Everton, the players are massively on side with him, despite the fact that what you might hear. What have you thought of him so far? I think I think when you look at um, Lundberg and compare him, you know, to, to to Duncan Ferguson going in at Everton, or even you look deeper than that, back, further back than that, Ollie when he took over at United. I think that Lundberg's inherited a bigger mess at, at um, Arsenal in terms really of players, attitude, players, the attitude, the, the everything. It was it was a shambles. We were talking a few few weeks ago, and I think we all predicted we were looking at the sat race. And I think we all thought Emery was the next one to go, and he was. Because you looked at it and you just had players on social media like almost openly criticising him, the old Arsenal fan TV stuff, or AFTV, I should say. Um, you know, there were stories emanating that they had a nickname for him and it was just players to not turn up for training or turn up for training late. Zaka and the whole captaincy thing. And there were so many different things to sort out of that club. Um, and also, just the erraticness of some of the performances. You know, one minute Pepe looks like he's worth the money, the next minute it looks, you know, when he, I know it's going back a little while, but when we played at Old Trafford, I didn't notice him until he was subbed. Yeah, and, you know, and that was like in the 60th minute. It was it was shocking. So I do think Lumber's on a bit of a high nut and offer in terms of sorting out this mess. I think it's going to take a long time. It's going to take longer than four games. And yes, you should expect a little bit of a bump when you come in and you're a new manager. But I think Arsenal need, for me, someone who's just going to be a bit more authoritative, if you can get my words out. I think someone who's going to come in there, not take any messing about and sort of be a strict disciplinarian. And I think that's probably been the difference in some of the other clubs you've seen. Lampard won't have gone into Chelsea and been a disciplinarian or no. Solskjaer certainly didn't take over United and was like, you know, telling everyone off because that was, you know, the op- we needed the opposite of that because that's what Jose had been like. So I think Arsenal need a real strong personality who's going to come in there and not take any stick from anyone. And I think Lundberg will probably be a bit more friendly and a bit more like the mate. Light touch. Yeah, which I don't think that's what they need. So I think they need a firmer hand. I mean, it's very early days. Again, we've said it earlier with other managers, if Lundberg does put a run together, then maybe, you know, the, the board will look at him and go, he's a good option. It's always fan-friendly when you get an ex-player it saves money there's lots of reasons but so far I don't see any I don't see any inclination or any indication sorry that that he's going to be the Arsenal manager next season anyway he might they might stick with him to the end of the season if they've got someone long-term lined up or if they think we've almost got nothing to lose by sticking with him but I mean they're not that far off the top four there's what five points in it yeah so if they did get someone in who, in, who can fix the mess that's there, then there's every reason they can get Champions League football next season. But when you look at, Sam, when you look at the way the, the derby panned out for City and the way that they find it difficult coping with the pace of United, mm. if there's one sliver of optimism for Arsenal for this game, it's that with Pepe, with Aubameyang, with Lacazette, even if someone like Bukayo Saka gets a start or comes off the bench, they have got pace on the break, they have got goals in that team. That's the only real little chink of light that Arsenal have. And it's it's a mad situation to be in to say, you're talking about Arsenal playing at home, that that's their only positive they can look to. Do you think, in terms of the way the team will set up, do you think Jungberg will have, for, for want of a better word, do you think, do you think he'll have the stones to, to go on the front foot against City? Uh, yeah, because there's always that obligation. But then Lundberg's in a kind of tricky position where if he wants the job as well, he's going to have to kind of do it on his own terms. But then does he want to show a bit of tactical flexibility? Obviously, I think it would make sense to to sit back and try and hit, hit City on the break. But Do they have the players for that? Yeah, exactly. Like 
uh, to be honest, maybe maybe I'm kind of reinventing this, but it, it makes sense that United could sit back and play well. You know, they protected Maguire and uh, Lindelof. and Lindelof and played you know very solidly. I'm wondering if Arsenal can do that if they've ever done that. Really? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I think there, there was that one result they got against City about five years ago that people used as an example of the time was, oh, maybe if Arsenal do this in the big games, they'll be all right. And they never, yeah. ever did. It's like Francis Coughlin is the answer at Holy Midfield. <laughs> yeah, and no, they just never, they've never, ever done that. Whatever so, the question was there, I don't want to know. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm not... I don't think they have... I think maybe, yeah, they're just going to have to go and try and play their own game and maybe try and outgun City because City have got their own problems as we all know um, they've not been attacking as fluently they're not very solid in defence at all so it's probably it's probably an opportunity to say right then lads let's let's get out there and you know, just you know, kind of a Duncan Ferguson Live kind of thing let's, let's get after him kind of thing Yeah. but you think when you look at City and yeah as you, as you mentioned that there are issues in terms of conceding goals and not being able to hold on to, to winning positions but even without David Silva and Sergio Aguero who, who were both injured for for the game this weekend you look at the players that are going to come in De Bruyne Sterling potentially Mares, with Jesus who's been brilliant since he's he's stepped in for Aguero I don't really see a way out of this for Arsenal I think this could be a lion tearing at a, at a wildebeest yeah, yeah quite possibly That's, but this is it like the weird the weird kind of situation with City is they have been affected by injuries but you know you get I can't write anything about City without having Liverpool fans tell me that they've got enough quality to cope um, but it's <laughs> but it's the weird thing about City is it's not it's not about the individual quality of the players 100% obviously they've taken these individual players and made them even better than they are and won 100 points one season 98 points the next because it's all about the system when the system's working the players look great everything looks great and you know they they, they barely have any problems at the moment it's not because of the combination of injuries they've got and then you can say look Jesus is a really good player Gundogan's a really good player Mares is a really good player on paper they should be still beating all of the teams they're playing but just because of the kind of unique way that City is set up it's kind of lives and dies by the system I don't know probably the easiest way to put it is when the system's working it makes the players better when the system isn't working which it hasn't been this season it, it can make them worse so yeah, you mentioned those players there and I just, again it's a bit like the United thing City aren't great at the moment I can still see them winning but there is yeah it's not quite as easy as oh they can bring in this guy and they can bring in this guy because everything kind of needs to click into place for it to be for it to be spot on and to be honest I thought I thought United would give City problems last week but I didn't expect United to actually win I thought City would go at them and still create enough chances and, and be alright and again I'm going to stick with that for the Arsenal game because I don't think Arsenal got that defensive side to them but I'm not you know, I'm not fully convinced City are going to win this game, which I have been, you know, for the best part of the last two and a half, three years. But given, I know obviously Guardiola's comments against the, <clears throat> after the derby last weekend where he said, he, what did he say, it was unrealistic to talk about catching Liverpool or, or something? I think he just said lines. they can't, can't compete in terms of the, the can't top compete, level. That was it. But that was an, I think that was an admission that they're not, they're not being good enough rather than a... a giving up. A as, as well. yeah, the, thing, yeah. But when you look at the situation against Arsenal, if if they beat Arsenal and beat Arsenal comfortably, that's a bit of a statement. And we know that there's one thing that City are good at, which could potentially be... Liverpool's undoing further down the line in, uh, in the season is that they can be relentless if they can get themselves on a run they can just keep going and keep going mm. they haven't had that result yet this season where everything's come together against a, a big side I know Arsenal have their issues but they're still a, they're still a big side in the Premier League if a, you know a really positive result can be gained from this winning by two goals winning by three goals do you think that could be the you know the key in the ignition to get them going no because no. I don't think it's a mentality thing 
we saw at Burnley, we saw the pick, you know, the, the, the fact that they were all singing in the dressing room before the game was like, wow, fair play. Um, but afterwards, they were, I think, because that big picture in the dressing room, I think it was just them going, we've still got it, thank God. Because yeah. th- they've all been looking at each other going, they, you know, they're the kind of the same wrong? as us. They're going, what, what is going on? Because you know, they know there's no big fallout. They know there's no big issue. It's just little, con- you know, little factors that have kind of snowballed to get them into this mess, really, in terms of the points deficit. Um, so, I, but I don't think it's one of them because obviously they went and, you know, they went and lost to United. After that, it's not a mentality thing. It's not a belief thing. I do think it's about the system and you know things going right on the day and that and that that kind of thing. I can see them going on a run when Laporte's back. If Sane's back, I think he'll probably stay in January because it doesn't make sense for Bayern to try and buy him now when they can get him for cheaper in the summer with a new manager. When they've got those players back and things are working a bit better and things are flowing, you know, Aguero's back, in the new year I can see then a run emerging. But for now, I don't see if they beat Arsenal, they're necessarily going to go and beat Leicester. I think you know next weekend I think they'll have real problems against Leicester, even if they were to beat Arsenal 4-0. Yeah, it, does, it doesn't really change that. Mark, I just wanted to ask Dead quickly, on the back of the derby, one of the ways that United had success was getting the other side of City's midfield, getting the other side of Rodri, James running at the back four, and the back four of City retreating and retreating and, and giving that space for United to run into. Given what we've mentioned about Arsenal's problems and, and City's problems, how or will Guardiola look to maybe amend that if Arsenal do look to get their, their tails up, particularly in front of the home crowd, and you've got someone like Aubameyang running from deep or Nicolas Pepe running from deep? I don't think Guardiola is one to make too many specific changes for depending on the opponent. I think, like Sam says, I think he's hit the nail on the head. It's a problem of the system, and again, the combination of injuries. Like you lose Laporte, and you at the minute to me, City through the middle, they just look soft. Mm. And I keep coming back to I keep coming back to the point you're making in my head, and I think yeah, they can go on a run of 14, 15, 16 wins. But then I actually watched them, and I watched them last week against United after that Burnley game, and they were brilliant at Burnley, and it was like, this is this is the city we all know. But I watched them at the, that United game, and I just thought, this isn't actually the city we all know. They've changed. There's something radically different and malfunctioning, if you like. And Sam's probably got a much better idea of it than me because he has to write tactically about City and go, you know, it covers them a bit closely. But to me, it just feels like at the moment they are vulnerable. Um, I don't think this weekend's going to be the weekend that costs them. I think to me, this game seems like it's going to be a high scoring City win, like something like 4 3 or something like that. I could imagine it being like quite a lot of goals. Um, just because they, you know, we know Arsenal's problems, but City also look vulnerable to balls over the top and counter attacks. But. I was just going to ask, do you think yeah, do you think there can be that many goals? I don't know, maybe 4-3 is a bit crazy. I don't know. It's, it's been a long day. <laughs> no, 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 no. Go, go, <laughs> stick with 4-3. I'm not, I'm not going to... I can stick with 4-3. Yeah, but no, I, I do I, I do think... We we know City have that um, attacking firepower. I think we've seen it in midweek. Um, and Arsenal are defensively weak. They've, I think they've got like one clean sheet at home all season. Yeah. So it seems like it's going to be an open game to me. But uh, I think the problems... Yeah, the, the, there are real problems at City, and I think they may come to pass when Leicester visit um, the week after. Yeah, Jay, would you follow on with that? Maybe not directly in terms of scoreline, but do you think City City win this, or do you think Freddie could pick up his 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 first big statemented win? No, I don't want to be all you know 
top red here, but I thought Manchester United's defence was... Don't was, let us stop you. ...was was excellent at the Etihad. And I don't see Arsenal doing that. I, I think I don't see Arsenal, I don't think Arsenal have got the players to do it. And I don't think they've got the... And it's not just the defence. I thought in midfield with McTominay and Fred protecting the back four did a real job on City as well. And I don't look, you know, looking at the Arsenal team, I don't think they've got the, the, the quality there to do that. And I think City, you know, we saw it against Burnley, the, what they're capable of. And I think... the. the, the, the it's a bit of a stretch to say they've got a point to prove because I don't think they have, but they want to bounce back and they want to set the stall out. And I think it's almost an ideal game to do it in because Arsenal, okay, they got the win over West Ham, but you saw it, especially in that first half, they're all over the place. Yeah. And defensively, you know, I don't, they've just not got their act together at all. So, yeah, I think they can score. You know, Bamiang's on fire. They, you know, Pepe, um, he's very up and down, as I said earlier, but he's always capable of creating something or getting you a goal. But I could see. I can see City having a bit of a field day, if I'm honest. I really could. I think the likes of Sterling, he brings in Mares, as you've mentioned. Um, mentioned sorry, Gabriel Jesus has, has been banging him in for fun. So I, I can actually see City giving Arsenal a bit of an idea, if I'm being honest. Sam, you go with the crowd on that, or are you going to stick with yeah, who's going against? Yeah, for a, no, again, for a prediction, it's a bit like the United-Everton game, to be honest. I'm going to go with City to win, and again, I'm probably going to go 3-1, but anything could happen. It could be any result, any scoreline. Yeah, I just they're, think they're just so unpredictable. Yeah, and Arsenal play into that without having, as as Jay said, without having enough to back it up with. I think they're trying to make out like, oh, we're unpredictable. You don't know what's going to happen, but in reality, you do. Which is they're either going to draw or get quite heavily beat. So probably a bit of a worrying afternoon in store for Arsenal fans tomorrow. We're just going to run around some of the re- other. We're just going to run around the other Premier League games this weekend, starting with Burnley against Newcastle. few problems for Burnley recently. They've lost the last three games, Palace, Manchester City, and then that 5-0 against Tottenham last weekend. Newcastle, on the other hand, doing pretty well. They've got one defeat in their last seven games. Jay, issues at Burnley? Concerned about Burnley? I'm not concerned about Burnley. I'm not concerned about Burnley anyway. No no offence to Burnley fans, but I'd be lying if I said I cared. Um, But... is anyone really putting Burnley in the mix for trouble? Has anyone even thought about that? You know the setup they've got. They've got decent players. Sean Dyche knows that team inside out. They're always dogged. They're always okay. It might sound like a bit of a contradiction after the, the well, I just said about Manchester City beating them, but they're usually very difficult to beat, especially um, at Surfmore. So there's enough there, enough quality there, enough sort of reliability there, and a manager who knows his, his onions, if you will, to, to keep them out of trouble. Knows but, his worms. Yes, knows his worms. <laughs> Don't expect Burnley to get sucked into it. Yes, it isn't a great run, but I, I think. Did you say earlier that I think is it Ashley Barnes is coming back in? Ashley Barnes is back fit. He missed last weekend when they got beat at, at Tottenham. And you know he's one of those players that you think, he's their key man. Yeah, you know he almost goes under the radar a lot of the time until you face Burnley. You think, oh, hang on a minute, he's a bit of an handful. He's he's a sort of player that the opposition fans always hate because he'll get stuck in and he'll sort of. You know, he's always capable of getting a goal as well. So yeah, I don't see Burnley being in too much trouble, and I think they can. I think mid table, the thirteenth now. I wouldn't be surprised if we're saying the same thing in May. And as for the game, Newcastle, obviously, as I say, decent run. They're unbeaten, and they've, sorry, they've only lost one of their last four away games. See, there's been a draw. Do you think Burnley alleged it? The trouble Newcastle's a real strange one because they're probably doing better than anyone expected in eleventh. I think everyone thought Rafa's gone. This is going to be a disaster. Steve Bruce, no disrespect to him, again, ex United legend, but is he the man to to carry on what Rafa's sort of the groundwork Rafa's done here? I don't think he is. And everyone thought they'd be sort of swimming against the tide. They've done well, but you can't. We mentioned this the other week. You can't rely on your defenders to get goals. No, Joe Linton's got. Is it one goal all season? Yep. Is it the other lad? Sam Maximum's got two. Two, and the, is the other lad who was a record signing who didn't haven't got any? 
Almiron hasn't yeah, scored this season. Hasn't no, scored no. this season. So that is a massive worry when you're relying on you. I know, I know, you know Andy Carroll's back there and everyone loves him, but is he going to be the answer to that? And it's that it's it goes back to what I was saying earlier about Watford. It's just the goals that you worry about because you know defenders aren't going to get you double figure goals all season. So this to me stinks of a nil nil. Um, and I think that yeah, <laughs> I think it's it's a sort of nil nil that no one's going to be excited about it from either set of fans. But I think they'll probably stomach it. A bit of a contest. Uh, Chelsea at home to Bournemouth. Little bit of a bump in the road for Frank uh, in recent weeks. They've won one of the last four games. But Mark, up against the Bournemouth side that are really struggling. I mean, you have to feel for Eddie Howe. The injuries he's having to deal with. Every press conference he seems to be talking about injuries. They've lost their last five in a row. Chelsea at home, you'd expect Lampard to get them straightened out and win this? I think you would, but then we also probably expected that the other week against West Ham. I think um, it's an odd one for Chelsea at the minute. I th- Maybe this is maybe maybe they kind of I don't know like overachieved a little bit at the start. I'm I'm hesitant to say that. I am kind of impressed with what Lampard's managed to do there. But every time you do watch them, they just seem a little bit chaotic. Things don't seem particularly organised or you know coherent when they attack, uh, when they try to defend in transition. I think um, given Bournemouth's injury problems, this is probably going to be a pretty routine win uh, and a return to form. But I am kind of hesitating. I remember coming on here last month and saying that I expected Leicester to 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 drop down a little bit and maybe finish fourth or, <laughs> or fifth. I don't believe that anymore. But um, yeah, I can see Chelsea just maybe that happening to Chelsea, if you like, because they've they've kind of flattered to deceive. Well, Leicester, as you mentioned, absolutely flying. They've won the last eight in a row in the Premier League, nine in all competitions. They're at home to Norwich, who I'm not going to mention corners being turned again, but doesn't really seem to be able to dig themselves out of the situation that they're in, Sam. Leicester, they're, they're, they will want to keep right on Liverpool's tails. And they're confident. They're playing the same team all the time. Minimal changes for Rodgers. He seems to be having a lot of good luck with injuries. Can't really say anything more than a home win for the Foxes here. Yeah, exactly. Um, for the purposes of talking a little longer, I keep thinking when Leicester play, you think they can't, you know, it's Leicester, can't they, can't, they, can't, they can't keep winning. You know, there's going to be some kind of inconsistency. You know, even Spurs, you know, when they were finishing third regularly, challenging, you know, second, that kind of thing, they'd, they'd lose the odd game here and there and you think, yeah, that's the little bit of inconsistency that means they're not going to win the league. So you keep thinking, it's Leicester, surely they're just going to chuck in a, a tough performance every now and again. But they haven't. <clears throat> um, I still think they can, yeah, I think they'll beat Norwich. Um, I think they'll beat City as well next week, as, wow. as things stand right now. Um, but yeah, I don't know, at some point you feel like something's got to happen. But as you say, they're playing the same team week in, week out. They obviously made a couple of changes last week. Interesting that Ian Acho started yeah. to get a start and people, City fans, after his game against Villa last week, were asking if he's got the buyout clause in his contract in case he can come <laughs> back or he's not coming back, lads. But I think there is there is a buyback clause in his in his Leicester deal, but I don't, yeah, I think that's going to get dusty, that one. Um, but yeah, um, it's great, aren't they? And it's one of yeah. those where foot, thing, the thing is with football and football fans, like Liverpool are a great team and Klopp is on his day a likeable bloke but so many football fans will hate them because it's Liverpool yeah don't know what but you mean but it, yeah but if that was if that was like Real Madrid or something or so someone someone abroad and you're not that bothered about you'd be, you'd be, re- you'd be really yeah. enjoying it but Leicester's like Leicester are you know harmless enough yeah. innocuous enough for everyone to enjoy it and I now think, obviously everyone, everyone hopes Leicester's going to win the league it. 
the people's yeah, exactly. champions. If, if next week, if next season <laughs> Southampton oh, were to go be amazing, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. If next week Southampton were to be, to be amazing, everyone would be like, yeah, fine, I'll Southampton yeah. come in the league, I'll be happy with that. Yeah, um, obviously. So I'm, I'm fully on board with Leicester. Good luck to him. <laughs> yeah, uh, Mark Sheffield United are home to Aston Villa. I won't go to, to Jay on this because I don't know which sides he's for. He's against. He's he's in, he's out of favour with Liverpool. He's out of favour with Burnley, and then he's he's got other friends at other clubs. <laughs> Sheffield United kind of turned things around a little bit last week uh, away at Norwich. They hadn't won in four and then two second half goals got them three points at Carroll Road Aston Villa on the other hand tale of two promoted sides really they've only won one of their last six and they, they do seem to be kind of floundering a little bit they're only out of the relegation zone on goal difference at the minute yeah I think um, a lot of that is perhaps down to just fixtures and schedules I think you know we've seen them at Old Trafford recently they had Leicester last week um, it wasn't so long since they were playing Liverpool and City before that so you know, I, that's that's what I kind of look at with Villa. I, I am generally impressed with what Dean Smith's done there this season. I thought, especially going forwards, they've looked good. Some questions about them at the back, but if I think I think they've run over Christmas and certainly into the new year is a little bit is a little bit kinder. And the big thing for them is just Grealish, isn't it? Because he was at Old Trafford the other weekend. When you, he's one of those players. You know, it's just it's just a throwback, isn't it? Yeah. And I think everybody gets on board with a number ten who rolls his socks down and you know can do a thing or two with the ball. Um, for me, one of his the thing I like most about him is that he gets fouled so much. Yeah. And he gets fouled so much because he's he's confident and he can take the ball in tight spaces and he doesn't mind. He, he thinks he can get past people. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he doesn't. But it's that kind of risk taking that just endears you to him. So I think if you know he's been in decent form recently, scored last week. He's going to be key to their survival chances, but I expect them to pick up form recently. Um, although this weekend, Bramall Lane, I was there for United the other week. I mean, it, it feels like it's very difficult to go and get results. Yeah, and it feels like it's actually got the, it's getting the reputation that Turf Moor had, even yeah. though all the top six sides tend to win at Turf Moor now. Weirdly, but it's, it seems like that kind of place that is going to be very difficult for a lot of sides to go. So maybe the Villa fight back doesn't start this week, but we'll see in the, in the weeks to come. Uh, Southampton against West Ham what's being billed as possibly Manuel Pellegrini's last game uh, he's under real pressure after a pretty horrible run of results in the last month to six weeks Southampton have done okay of late they've won the last two games 2-1 at home Watford and Norwich and they seem to be getting into a little bit of a habit now of getting results against the sides around them in the table which ultimately is their objective to make sure they're not in a, in a relegation dogfight in the new year Yeah I mean we were talking about this a few weeks ago and I said that there seems to be an air of Southampton that they weren't panicking. They were sticking with the manager after they got that spanking at Leicester. Even then, they sort of backed him. And you can sort of see what he's trying to do. And <laughs> you can believe that there is a chance they can get out of it. I actually think Southampton can get out of this. And mm-hmm. I think they have got enough quality there. And they've got a manager who, who sort of... Yeah, the wheels haven't come off there for me at Southampton. No. I don't think Even after the 9-0 Yeah, with I don't think the players have stopped believing. I don't think the, the, the fans have completely turned on him. I think there's still an air of, of sort of belief there that you need to get out of a relegation dogfight. With West Ham, I think it's almost the opposite. And I think that whilst Pellegrini does have his talents as a manager, I think, for me, Pellegrini's a good manager at the other end. I think he's a good manager when he's handling big egos or he's, he's dealing with players that have got a lot of quality and keeping them happy. Is he the man, and you're going to have to get this bell out in a minute, is he the man that you'd want you know, to sort of rally the troops when the, the chips are down? If I can throw a load of cliches in there, go on, there's a couple for you. <laughs> I just don't see... I don't know if he is. I don't I know if he's got that in him and I don't know if he's no. the right type of manager for the situation that West Ham have found themselves in. Yes, they've got good players, West Ham. They have got some quality. But when you start losing games and you start getting sucked into it, you need more than just quality. You need that belief, you need that determination and you need a manager that the players are going to yep. are going to listen to and do as, as he says. And I just don't know if that's that's what West Ham have got at the minute with Pellegrini. I just, 
I know he often comes across that. He used to come across that when, like, when it, when he was at City and they were winning titles, or whatever. He still came across as a man who was just a bit sort of almost vacant at times yeah. when he was obviously having a lot of success. So it's easy to think or look at him and think, oh, he's lost. But it's not great. And yeah, it's just the the air at West Ham. The one of those clubs as well, West Ham, who because I'm on a bit of a roll of just upsetting fans I'll just keep upsetting these <laughs> fans I keep going West Ham fans just bizarrely demand a lot they have this old yeah. academy of football persona and um, you know we won the World Cup and all that nonsense so they're not going to settle for a manager who's just about keeping them up they expect to be higher up the table and to be fair with the, the, the players they've got and the stadium and, and the history and, and all the rest of it they should be higher than 16th which is where they are so yeah, Str- I think straight this question. Is a if, story. if they lose to Southampton, given the fact that they've got the following weekend off because their Liverpool game's been postponed because they're in the Club World Cup, West Ham going to have a little bit of time to think over this. Mm. If they lose against Southampton, does he get the sack? Is the next game after that Boxing Day? They play Crystal Palace away, so they, they've yeah, got the they've got the following away. weekend yeah, off. Yeah, yeah, you give someone two weeks to. Yeah, if it, I thought Just, sorry, you know, I was, they might be lining it up now. Yeah, because I thought you were going to say that even though it was postponed, that was going to be the next game against the Scousers, and I thought no, no not a chance. Is that going to be someone's first game? But yeah, I, I completely agree with Sam. I think if he loses to Southampton, when there's a break, it's tailor made. And West Ham are a bit trigger happy with managers, aren't they? Anyway, they've, well, they've, they've got, gone through quite a lot. They went, they have like, then they have like seven managers in the first like hundred years or something stupid, and then they've gone through like seven in the last ten years or something. It was mad, mad stat. And uh, last game, Wolves against Tottenham. Uh, Wolves on a brilliant run, unbeaten in 12 in all competitions, uh, through to the last 32 in the Europa League after a 4-0 win against Besiktas, which was impressive. Tottenham obviously reacted to losing against Manchester United by walloping Burnley. They then were poor against Munich in midweek. I know they were already qualified, but really kind of turgid and, and struggled to get going against against the Bundesliga side. Going away to an informed Wolves team this weekend, it'll be difficult for Mourinho, Sam. <sighs> This is a really interesting one, this. Because Wolves have got that flexibility where, you know, midway through last season, they kind of learned to control games when they were at home. And, you know, when they had a lot of the ball, they, you know, they found a way to, to break teams down, uh, which they hadn't done at the start of last season. Um, again, with Spurs, you would think, play to Mourinho's tendencies, bit of counter-attack, that kind of thing. Um, it, could, it could go either way. I think it's, it's, quite, it's, I think it's quite even. I don't think there's going to be. I don't think there's going to be much between the teams. Whoever wins, whatever the result is, I, honestly, I, I can't call it. I can't call it. Um, you could see Spurs winning on the counter attack. You could see Spurs not being particularly good, and and Wolves keeping it together. You could see. You could easily see it being a draw. I think it's going to be a really good game to watch. I, yeah. I, I would like to watch it, although I'll probably miss it because I'll be going to the Arsenal game. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it'll be it'll be a really good game. It'll be a really interesting game. Um, tactically fascinating. I wouldn't be surprised if there was a few in-game changes going on. But in terms of who's going to score the goals, who's going to be the most clinical, I suppose you probably have to go with Spurs because you know they've got just they've got Kane and Ali and that kind of thing. But Wolves on their day could could definitely make it difficult. And yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm not sure where Spurs are at the minute. No, you know they, they've had a bit of a bounce, but it, it's not been a major one, has it? It's, no, I mean they absolutely tore Burnley apart in there with like four or five goal of the season contenders yep. but then like you say they got beat off Munich they got beat off Hulls. Um I mean Jose's on a bit of a charm offensive at the minute but which is always difficult <laughs> for him <laughs> nah he's, he's good at that <laughs> yeah yeah for now um, but you know Wolves funnily enough when um, when they, when Jose was at United and Wolves came to Old Trafford that was when there was, there was a real sort of the real question marks over Jose mm. came about I felt because it was only oh, it was a 1-1 draw but they played us off the park 
they played United off the park and people were like, what is going on here? Why? And then obviously Pogba spoke out against it saying we shouldn't be defending yeah. against teams like this. Yeah. And that's when the real momentum behind Jose out got going. So he might have a bit of a point to prove. But Wolves are a good team. And was it, what was it, 11 without a defeat, did you say? Yeah, 11, uh, no, sorry, 12 unbeaten now. So like draws, test game. Oh, is it? Is it one of those? Yeah, yeah. I think it's like, like the Invincibles. Eight draws or something like that. Hang on, you're having to dig at everybody. I'm even better going to sleep in it. Well, uh, do you know what? On that mildly insulting, but arguably quite correct point, we're going to call it a day. Uh, that's been the Football Social Daily Premier League preview show. We've covered everything in English Top Flight this weekend, but don't forget you can get our daily podcast every single day, keeping you up to date with transfer gossip, injury news, opinions from all of our journalists and panellists that come into each show. You can subscribe via our ACAST channel. It's also available on Spotify and iTunes. Simply hit like, simply hit subscribe, and you'll be able to get all the Premier League news every single day. And if you want to tailor it to your team, if you're like Jay, where you only want to hear about one team, you can also subscribe to our Amazon Alexa updates. Simply ask your Alexa device to enable Sports Social. Guys, thanks so much for joining us. Jay, Mark, Sam, thanks all for coming in. Thank you. Brilliant stuff. And that's been the Football Social Daily Premier League preview show. And we'll see you again very, very soon. Football Social Daily Premier League preview. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply